Okay. We're continuing through 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 7 tonight. And remember, as we left off, David is now the king over all of Israel and Judah. The nations are now brought together. And as David has taken his place on what is the city of David, Mount Zion, he brought the ark into the city. And we saw that mishap that happened with the ark because he had done things incorrectly. And it wasn't so much that he had done things incorrectly as much as God's not wanting to become common or something ordinary. And when they put the ark on the cart, it was kind of an ordinary thing instead of doing it in the prescribed manner that God had instructed by the priest and it being kind of a sacred event. And so David then went to the other end and he made it a sacred event. Every six steps, they would stop, they would sacrifice, they would worship all the way up to the city, gave bread out to everyone. And then we saw that Saul's daughter, Michael or McCall, just didn't like that. And we talked about that a little bit. So now we're in chapter seven. And it's interesting because chapter seven actually takes place chronologically after chapter eight. But the author thought it would fit better here because of the ark and what happened. And so it's kind of a strange thing. But verses one through three, you'll see what I mean, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Well, when it says that he was at rest after the enemies had been kind of settled around him. Well, that's not true chronologically. That's going to happen after the next chapter. And so that's why I mentioned that, because in chapter 8, there's going to be all kinds of battles, and you'll say, wait, I thought he was at rest. Well, after that time, and the reason I mention that is because sometimes the scripture, the way it's written, isn't meant to be just a chronological book. It's trying to give us some ideas and flows. We saw this when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew purposefully brought things together to help us understand the points that he was trying to make. And here, the same thing is happening. The author is letting us know the ark was brought in, and here's something that transpired concerning this idea. And here in this idea, as the enemies are settled around him, David says, here I am living in a house of cedar. Now, House of Cedar is to let you know that this was expensive and beautiful. Anytime a house was made out of wood, it was crafted well and it was expensive. And so David is living like a king because he's a king. And that's how kings live, like kings. And, And so there he is living in this nice house. And then he has this thought, how can I be living in this affluence? And the ark of God is in a tent. The tent is that place that was carried throughout the wilderness for those 40 years, the tabernacle that was traveling. Now imagine a tent that has lasted 40 years. Maybe they've done some repairs, but it probably has some wear and tear on it, no matter how good you take care of your stuff. 
even if you put it in those Tupperware things, they always end up getting a little banged up. And so there's this kind of, man, I'm living it good, but the ark is down there. And so he has it in his mind to build a house. Then Nathan, this is the first time we see Nathan appear here in Scripture. The prophet's names appear, and he'll play a prominent role in David's life. He replies to the king, whatever you have in your mind to do, do it, for the Lord is with you. Now, that's a very nice thing to say, because God was with David. But we're about to read that that wasn't what God had wanted. And it's important for us, it's been important for me, at least throughout my time when I've been a follower of Christ, to recognize that even when God is with someone, it doesn't mean that everything they say is good. And I've learned that many times, and you've probably learned that as well. And you'll learn that with me if you haven't already. My wife has. Um, I can remember one time I, I was a, a new follower of Christ, and we went up to this retreat. It was in Twin Peaks. And we had all these elders who were speaking at this conference who were a part of you know, this big church that I was a part of. I was a small part of this bigger you know, work that was going on. And so I was there with these elders you know, from the big church, and we were playing volleyball. And I remember I was just like, man, life is so great. You know, Everybody just loves each other. And as I was playing volleyball, I made a mistake. It happens every now and then. And I'm not a volleyball player, but I forget what I did. I didn't set someone up or I laughed and held the ball. I don't know what I did. <laughs> but I remember this elder just blasted me. He just like, what's wrong with you? Set it up next time. And he just like chewed me out. And my little spirit inside me went, you know, how could you, this person of God, talk like that to me? Don't you know? I thought you were magnificent. Now you're just a jerk. Um, but the reality of who we are shows up at times, and we always need to be mindful of that. There are men who I extremely respect, and the things that they say I listen to very intently. And sometimes I just can say, be so focused on these people and their teachings and the advice that they give but I have to remember that they are men. And I have to have an understanding of God's voice being more important in my life than that of a man's. And we should always have that aspect. So especially now when there is these things called Christian radio or this thing called Christian radio, and you have multiple Christian radio stations, and you have multiple pastors from different places all speaking, there are times when all I hear is, oh, well, pastor so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said this, but what is God saying? What is God speaking to you? What, or are you hearing from God, or is it all just words of men? It doesn't mean their words are bad. It doesn't mean there aren't good things that can be taken from those things that they say, but we always have to put it in 
perspective and in priority of God is up here, man is down here. We have to place God's words as more important than that of men. Otherwise, we'll be presumptuous, which is what Nathan was. He said, Lord's with you. Whatever you have in your mind, do it. But that night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go. Now, he just told David, the king, whatever is in your mind, do. And now God says, I want you to go to the king and tell him this. Just to throw that out, that's what's going to happen here. This is what the Lord says. So you said everything's okay, but this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, man, you never knew. It's like, it's there, Israelites. I know that word. Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest... And your ancestor, with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men and with floggings inflicted by human hands but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. It's real important that we are able to see and understand God through the right lens and perspective. We're going to start a new series Sunday called Perspective, and this really is touching on the first talk that I'm going to have, talking about how belief in God or not belief in God affects our perspective and how what we believe about God is an important part, too, to how we interpret Scripture and how we receive or don't receive from God. And what's amazing to me is David has in his mind this noble idea. I want to build a house for God. I live in a great place. I want to build some place great for God. And God says, you're going to build me a house? I've been traveling. Here's what 
I'm going to do. I'm going to establish you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your children. And we'll have them build me the house. But I am going to have them reign on this throne forever and ever. And we'll go a little bit into detail on what that is because we see definitely some clear prophetic words leading to that of Jesus. But what is interesting to me here is that God gives more. David wanted to give But God says, no, I'm going to give you. And this is the house I'm going to give you. And what is interesting is that the characteristic or character of God is giving. Remember when Jesus, before the Passover, took his disciples and He girded himself with a towel and he went and got a bowl and like a servant started washing their feet. And then Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter says, well, then my head, my hands, wash all of me. And what Jesus was doing was actually showing us once again the character of God. I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. Why? Because that is the character of God. Is that to serve. Just like God is love, God is also a servant. He is here to bless, to give. He's not here to receive. And if we are going to be like our Father in heaven, then this is the characteristics that we need to have. And so Jesus could say it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because that's how God is. That's what God does. And so David says, I'm going to give to you. And God says, well, let me give to you. And God's gift is so much greater than anything David could give. Why? Because that is at the heart of who God is. Now, that's important that you understand that, that I understand this because sometimes we can come before God and we can feel like, oh no, I've I've just, you know, I'm not qualified. I I can't ask anything of God after what I've done. I'm indebted to God. You know, I owe him so much and I have to pay some kind of penance to make myself feel better for the wrong that I've done. And then God comes to us and he says, "I, I want to bless you. But God, don't you know what? Yeah, I do. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't stop him from giving when he already knew our fault and our failure. His love doesn't show those kinds of limits that we show. And so David, wanting to do something for God, and God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. Now, later on, the Lord would tell David why he couldn't build him a house. That there were reasons that 
David wasn't allowed to build a house for God, and it was because he had blood on his hands. It tells us that in Jeremiah 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I... Oh, excuse me, that's the wrong one. Um, sorry about that. Okay, here it is. In First Chronicles 28. I'm getting used to my new little iPad here. It's not as easily visible as I... Used to. Okay. First Chronicles chapter 28, verses 2 and 3. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. And he goes later on in that chapter and gives that declaration as well. And Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, it says, You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. David would be told this is the reason later on. But right now God just says, I'm going to do something for you. So even though David was not qualified to build the house for the Lord because of all the lives he had taken, God did not throw that in his face at this time when he wanted to build the house for the Lord. What God said, no, I'm going to build your house. And I think it's important we understand this characteristic of God. That even though God could say, no, David, you're not qualified. You can't build my house. God didn't squash him, didn't smash his dreams. God actually gave him more than he expected. And then later on said, you can't. And you see, that is the God we serve. He is a servant. He is generous. He gives. And so when we would want to do something for God, many times he would just say, well, no, let me do this for you. And it's so important that we understand that we don't earn God's love. We don't earn God's favor, that it doesn't matter what you do that God doesn't love you more or less because of your works and doing. That God loved you as much as anyone could love anybody at the beginning. While you were in the midst of the mess, while you were in the mud like the prodigal son who left and was eating pig food and slop and the father was still looking for him. God's love is not conditional and you don't have to earn it. It is there for you to receive it. And if we have it in our mind, well, I'll talk about this more Sunday. I don't want to get off track. It's important that we understand that. And we see that taking place here. David, I'm going to build you a house. God said, no, look, at, are you going to build me a house? Thanks, thanks. But listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your household 
reign. And so he goes on and he tells them these things that he's going to do in his household. He said in verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now that's speaking of Solomon directly, but it's also speaking of Jesus who is going to build a bigger house in his name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, talking about Solomon temporarily, there were four generations that sat on the throne and ruled. But then there became after that the son Jesus, who is the descendant of Jesse, descendant of David, that reigns forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Where have we heard that before? Again, prophetically of Christ. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I remove from before your eyes. Even when Jesus became sin, he who knew no sin became sin. God still, his love carried through him. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And that's when I wanted to read Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And so, There was the promise to David, this is the promise to David, that his kingdom would reign, his heir would be on the throne forever, that it would endure and be established forever. And that took place through the person of Jesus Christ. And so David thinks, I'm going to build you a house, God. I got cedar, I got some gold, I'll make it a nice house. And God says, I'm going to build you a house. And it'll never end. And through your household, all the world will be blessed. All the nations will be established and blessed forever and ever. So Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. And so again, Nathan was a little bit presumptuous. He was a little bit ahead of himself here. When he realized that, okay, yeah, I guess you can't do anything you have your mind to, but here's what God did want to tell you. Anything stand out to you in this portion, these passages here? It has to do with Saul's, the promise that was given to Saul being taken away, so that when he's talking about his love, he's talking specifically in context here about how Saul was to have a reign on the throne, but because of his disobedience, God took that away. And so it's not like God doesn't love Saul, but that love that was displayed through the inheritance continuing isn't going to be seen. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay. Let's push through. Verse 18 again. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, so Imagine this, you want to build, now David's going to hear from the Lord these things, 
And here's his response. And again, this is beautiful. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree. Sovereign Lord is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. And so we see David here accepting God's will without bitterness, without rebellion, but in humility. He's acknowledging God has something else in mind and it's actually better. In verse 22, he says, How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt." You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. And so David acknowledges the promise of God, recognize it to him. And then as he does this, as he sees this promise, he humbly glorifies the Lord. And then he boldly starts asking that the promise be fulfilled just as God has spoken. He he comes back to God and says, keep your word. Do what you said. Let it be established. Keep that promise. Verse 27, Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Anything stand out to you in this prayer and response to David? It is. It's very bold. Especially, there's a word that keeps coming up. Sovereign Lord. What does sovereign mean? Right? You, you're in control. You have the right to do what you want. But then, do what you said. It's an interesting combination. As he keeps calling him sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, he keeps going back to his integrity. What you have said, now do. And I find this an interesting combination. And we see this a few times in Scripture where people, men, stand before God and 
demand or put this kind of, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, have this kind of, you know, zest to just speak to God like this. Remember Abraham, Lord, if there be 50 righteous, are you going to destroy the city? No. Okay, what about this? Lord, surely you will not destroy the city if there are these many. And he, Abraham stood before God and said, God, you won't do this, will you? The nerve to stand before God and say something like that. Moses, Lord, if you're going to wipe out these people, wipe out me too. Because I'm not going to go if they don't get to go. That's a scary thing. And then in Hebrews, it tells us we have the confidence to come to the throne of grace to find or come boldly before the throne to find grace in time of need. And you can't do this unless you know who you're talking to. In other words, this would be very arrogant of David unless he really knows the heart of God, and that the heart of God is to do what is best for him and what he has said to do. And so now it's not really being arrogant or being presumptuous. Now it's actually engaging in being close. And so he's being bold, but his boldness is actually in God himself. Do what you said. And once again, we come back to what is the character of God? And how do you see God? And perhaps throughout the years, if you've grown up in church or in some kind of religious establishment, the idea of God and judge and God and condemning and God making sure that you don't do anything wrong has been so forced in our thoughts that our thought of God is that God is against us if we do anything wrong. Instead of it being God is actually wanting good for us and wants to give us more than we could imagine. And if we would be in that place of obedience to him, we could actually go before him and say, you promised. And it would be okay. You know, if I told my kids that we were going to go to Disneyland or to go someplace, and they came up to me and they said, hey, Dad, are we going to go to Disneyland? I said, well, no, I, I can't. We got to. They would say, but you promised. And I wouldn't look at them and say, well, I have the right to change my mind if I want to. You're not good enough to go anyway. <laughs> you didn't make your bed today. Out of my sight. <sighs> no, I, I gave you my word and my word was to do this. And that relationship allows me to come up to my father and say, you promised. You promised. And you see, what this reveals to me is 
intimacy in this relationship that David has with God. It, it's not being so bold that he's arrogant. It's not being disrespectful. It's being close. It's being close. God, you promised. Remember what you've promised. You promised. And he's holding on to that for his sake. Not because, God, I think you're going to forget. He's holding on to it, and he's repeating this to God for his sake, really more than anything else. And I think this is an amazing passage of Scripture in the heart of the Old Testament that gives us a revelation of the character of God who actually desires to give more than we could ask or think. And many times the the problems that we have as we think about God and as we've heard things, it's more our perspective than it is really God. We're probably seeing things from a skewed point of view and don't have a clear understanding of the character and heart of God. And so we put labels and limitations on God or his love based on what we think or what we've heard, but it's not based on who God is. Because God at his heart is a servant. God at his core and his character is giving, is generous, is love. And so we have to see these things and we have to be able to put into understanding the world around us and how things take place with the knowledge of God's character. And it's difficult sometimes, especially when there is such wickedness around us, when there's such evil around us and there's tragedy around us and to Try and understand how, how, God, can you be so generous and so giving, and yet how can I see all these things taking place? And again, perspective is an important part of that, but that's our next series going into that. Any thoughts coming out of these passages to you? Any questions? I'm looking at a different translation. It does say, Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts, which is the idea still of sovereignty or uh, the God who's in control. Um, but either way, it doesn't take away from what you shared. Any other thoughts? Yeah, well, it's definitely true. He never goes to a place of irreverence. You know, he's always, in fact, his praise and worship. Yeah, and, you know, in Hebrews, the passage with boldness actually is translated confidence. You know, so the idea of boldness and confidence, um, I think, are a good combination. The confidence is that I can and I can get your ear. I have your ear to hear these words um, and know that you're going to hear them in favor for what's best for me. You know, that's the idea of confidence as opposed to just boldness. Yes, Cody. Yeah, and that, you know, that translates to, to, I don't know how many people I've talked to uh, who have thoughts, but they feel that they can't have these thoughts 
and be a follower of Christ because, you know, well, I have these doubts or I have these questions. And, and so what they think is, well, I can't ask them so God isn't interested or I can't ask God. And they actually, it shuts the door to that dialogue between them and God because, well, you know, I, I'm thinking this and I can't ask God this question, but I wonder about it. You know, I wonder how could God allow something like this, or I wonder why does the scripture say something like this, but I'm not supposed to think that way, so I just, I won't. And what ends up happening is their conscience that actually is probably more connected to God than they realize is saying there's something disingenuous about what I've heard or how I'm interpreting something to what I believe God should be like. And so what they do is then they say, well, I can't violate this conscience that I have, but I've heard this, so I guess that's wrong. And what they do is they throw out a form of Christianity that is actually not accurate to the character of God because their heart is telling them this can't be right. And instead of asking God, what about this? I don't understand. Or asking people, what about this? And having a dialogue that engages the hard topic with God and have that ability to have the intimacy and conversation, they feel the door is shut and so they don't talk about it and then they turn away. And it happens a lot to people who grow up in church who grow up in church and they hear all the Bible stories and and they know God is holy and then they have a hard time putting things together. You know, when you're a little kid and you hear, you know, all have sinned and any sin can, you know, send you to hell and you're thinking, wow, so when I stole the cookie from the cookie jar, really, would God send a kid to hell because they took a cookie from a cookie jar? Is that really at the heart of this, instead of asking that question and dialoguing about that to find out there's a whole lot more than that, the the cookie jar is, is not, you know, the issue as much as there's deeper things. So people say, well, I I just can't believe in a God who would send a four-year-old to hell because he stole a cookie. Make sense? It's like, You know, we don't say it in that way, but that's kind of how our mind starts to wrap around these things. That doesn't make sense. How can I serve a God who would send four-year-olds for stealing cookies? I didn't think it was that bad. Really? They're just four. They don't really get it. And it's cookie. And so those are the questions that you have to press into. But if you're afraid of God or if the door gets shut and you don't have confidence then the conversations that should take place never take place. And your view of God is based on a character that actually isn't his. Because God is more giving than any person you know. God is more of a servant than any person you know. God is more generous than any person you know. It doesn't mean it's without boundaries. doesn't mean it's, you know, free ride doesn't matter. But if you have this understanding 
and then you start to work from this understanding of who God is, you can start answering some of these questions or at least engaging these questions about some tough topics that are there. And find out why is there so much talk about this or why are we so close to this and what is God's heart towards this situation, these people, um, my feelings about this and recognize that there is nothing you are going through that is going to shock God that he can't handle. You take your deepest, darkest, hardest questions and you can come before God and he's not going to go, how how dare you think that? He, yeah, I mean, that's what we read in Psalm 139, before the words on my tongue, you know it well. And God wants to engage those conversations. And he's not afraid, he's not intimidated. You bring it to him. It's that inquiry that brings us to the relationship and the dynamics with God. It's because Moses asked a question, why is that bush on fire but not burning that he encountered God? Jesus said, seek, you will find. Knock, the door shall be open. Ask, you will receive. For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, the door will be open. So God is never saying, don't ask. Hey, shh, shh, shh. How dare you? Didn't you? Sometimes you'd hear people say, oh, don't think that way. Don't ask that. You know, like, what? It's too late. I already thought that way. You know, <laughs> now what's going to happen? You know, I thought it. I thought it. Oh, no. You know, and the, I'm doomed forever. God's going to lightning bolt smash smithereens. What happened? Oh, I thought something. <laughs> Sorry I didn't believe you in a second ago, but now I need to ask you something. <laughs> But you see, I mean, that's the truth. And sometimes I think our souls know more than our minds understand. You know, it's our soul that drives us to our knees in need when there's something that's happening, even though we have that question, but I don't get it. I wonder how can this be or I wonder if it's true. And then when the calamity of life comes, our soul says, oh, you better cry out to God because you need him right now. And it's like, wait, I just didn't think he was true. And your soul says, oh, but we need him. You know, it's like our soul's crying out. And I mean, who here has ever said, I don't know if God's real? Anyone ever thought that? Okay, I I have. I mean, it's like, you have? Yeah, I know. Aren't you the pastor? (laughs) Sorry, yeah. Those thoughts come in. And sometimes I, I find myself, you know, what am I doing here? I'm teaching from the Bible. How did that happen? I, I didn't. Every now and then, I wonder about these things, and I I have questions, but I also have the relationship, which is like what you said when you go. But oh, I need to pray for something, and who do I go to? Oh, I I go to my Father in heaven. You know, my kids when. <laughs> We might have some disagreements, but when they need money or something, they have no problem to call. Why? Because you're my dad. I'm, I'm in trouble and I need help, so I call. Even though we might have just had an argument or I might have just, you know, had some disagreement, when the chips are down, you call. Why? Because of the relationship. 
And I think sometimes that happens to us. We have these thoughts. I don't know if that's that, but when things come in, our souls call and say, I, I need you. And I think that's okay. I don't think God says, no, 10 minutes ago, you were having some problems. I'm not going to answer the phone. You know, forget it. Yeah, I'm going to put it on silent. Boom, there it goes. Yeah, and again, kind of going back to just what we were talking about, if we've grown up with this idea of, you know, if there's something wrong with me, then I can't come to God. i got to, you know, get my life right before I come to the Lord. You know, I've got to confess my sin. Otherwise, I can't talk to God. You know, God already knows about the sin. Yeah, you, confessing sin is a great thing. You should always do that. But there's nothing that is going to stop God from, you know, receiving someone who wants to come to him. And I think getting that understanding is an important thing. What about this person? You know, we want to make up these things. Well, you know, if anyone turns to him, is he going to cast them out? You know, and we just don't see that character in God. You know, now sometimes as parents, our kids say, hey, give me, you know, a hundred bucks. And we say, Why? And they say, well, because I saw this, you know, great deal on TV at night where I can make a million dollars. And we say, no. <laughs> yeah, got 10 minutes and then it goes out. And we could say, no, I'm not going to give you 100 bucks because I think that's, yeah, they can still come and God can still say no, you know, and God does. I mean, David wanted to build a house. God said, no, but I'm going to give you a house. You can't give me one, but I'll give you one, you know. And, and I think we'll find that we can't outgive God, you know. Malachi tells that. Try it, even that financially, I'll bless you. Means he's there to do what God wants him to do, and it's specifically, it's as king over God's people. He's here to be used by God to help lead this people who God has brought out of Egypt, who God has established, who God has given the law to. I'm here, Lord, to help you do what is necessary for your people. I believe that's what the meaning was, was just God's, you know, he was there as a king, which I think is a great thought, too, as a king, but I'm here as God's servant for his people, you know. Now, he had that attitude and heart, but he kind of, those lines get crossed sometimes. I mean, as a servant, he had a real nice house, and then he ended up with a lot of wives. You know, I mean, they took advantage of that servitude a little bit some places, but that was the idea and intention that's there. Any other thoughts? Okay, well, that was fun. Uh, let's pray. Father, I, I hope that the character of who you are becomes more and more evident in our community and in how we interact with you and with each other. Lord, we never want to take away, and we never could, from your holiness. But Lord, I think there has been so much harm done to your character throughout the years that many people are afraid of you and feel that they can't come before you. And yet here we see that even when you say no 
to David's request, you give him more than what he wanted to give you. And Lord, that is who you are. Your character, your nature is that of a servant, that you are not selfish. You are not demanding of us for your sake. You do give commands to us, but it's for our sake, not for yours. You give us guidelines for life, for our benefit, not for yours. And may we recognize these things, that what you have written and given is for us, so that we can live lives that are more closely in relation to you. And may we always see that, God. And I pray that we would not allow, Father, anything to hinder us from coming before you, of pouring our hearts out to you, of asking of you. And may we have the type of relationship with you that would allow you to speak to us, to tell us no, allow us to give you your promises and remind you of what you said. May we have confidence and in such an intimate relationship with you, Lord, that we dialogue with you, even as Moses did, a friend that he sees face to face. Father, may that be our relationship with you as well. I thank you for this time, Lord, and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.